1: And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how the athletics match Schneidman causes some waves on Packers Twitter and in Packers Nation on Monday. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about joint practices because this is something Brian Gudikins talked about at the Combine before it was announced. The Packers and Browns were working on scheduling a joint practice this upcoming offseason And a lot more to get to on today's show. But let's start with what happened on Monday when a seemingly innocuous blurb in The Athletic caused a stir. In a piece for The Athletic, Matt Schneidman wrote the following. After putting an ear to the ground at the Combine, my best guess is Brian Bulaga signs elsewhere in free agency. Jared Veldier resigns with the Packers and starts the season at right tackle. And Brian Gudekinst uses his first pick on Green Bay's 2020 swing and right tackle of the future. And when a beat writer says this, it's going to cause waves. And it did. It was treated as a report a lot of places. And Matt actually went out of his way on Twitter to point out this was not a report per se. It was, and he literally says in the blurb, my best guess. It is not specifically sourced. He is not reporting the Packers are moving on from Brian Bulaga, or even that they are likely to do so. Just that the most likely option of a group of options potentially is that they will move on from Brian Bulaga, resign sign Jar- Jared Valdez, and move forward that way, trying to get an offensive tackle early in the draft, whether it's in the first round, second round, third round, I don't think was specifically Matt's point, but maybe it was. They did not spend a lot of time meeting with offensive linemen that we heard about at the Combine. Maybe that is in itself indicative of some interest by the Packers. They are notoriously tight-lipped about these kinds of things. But I think what is... Important to point out here is in the context of the other reports that we've heard out of the Packers organization over the last week or so, this fits. Because it would have been nearly impossible to bring back Brian Bulaga, sign Corey Littleton, and sign Austin Hooper, given their price tags. It would have have taken a lot of salary machinations, it would have taken some creative accounting, things Russ Ball would be capable of doing, But the Packers would have to have the appetite to do that, and I think it becomes worth a discussion here if the right move is a free agent linebacker, a free agent tight end, and that is replacing the right tackle for the Green Bay Packers because Brian Bulago, when healthy, was a really good right tackle last year. He was healthy with the exception of that fluke sickness that went through the locker room in the playoffs he was healthy. Now, Jared Veldier came in and held his own against Jadavion Clowney and, and that Seahawks front and played well in that playoff game and, and they felt good about putting him out there. They certainly felt better than, than Alex Light would have been. Brian Guttekin specifically mentioned in his off-season press conference that he was going to gauge the the interest of Tremont Williams and Jared Veldier of returning, of coming back, and that hinted to me and a lot of people that... The Packers wanted to bring those guys back that that they would not cost a lot. And if they wanted to keep playing, that the Packers would bring them back to keep playing. Now, if they want to be players in free agency, they have to make a decision. Is adding a linebacker and a tight end worth giving up a really good offensive lineman? And to answer that, we have to decide how good those players are and what is the replacement option at right tackle. So if the option is, Sign Austin Hooper, sign Corey Littleton, and re-sign Jared Valdir at a at a bargain basement price. I think that makes sense if you're the Packers, if you're looking at a value standpoint, because it allows them one more year, maybe two more years with Jared Valdir. It allows them to draft an offensive lineman of the future in this draft. You still are getting your pass catcher. You do not have to worry about drafting a linebacker because you're signing presumably to a long-term deal the guy who is going to play 99% of your defensive snaps and is really the only linebacker that you are, are desiring to play. So now you get a receiver in the draft, you get an offensive lineman in the draft, you get a defensive lineman in the draft, and your roster suddenly looks really, really good. Now this goes back to a conversation we had a few weeks ago. And we talked about positional value. And trying to suss out if if the premium positions were still the premium positions. And one of the takeaways from that study was, according to Sports Info Solutions and their evaluations of these players, offensive tackle was not as important as we'd originally thought. That linebacker, for example, was a more important position. Tight end, receiver, these are really important positions too and can be Impactful, particularly if you can get a top-level guy. You get a top-level linebacker, you get a top-level tight end, those guys are actually more valuable than even the top offensive tackles. And I think the part of the reason for that is the, the difference between the top guys and just an okay guy or just a good guy. There's a huge difference at receiver, at tight end, at linebacker. The Packers found that out. Blake Martinez, just not good enough. And in a league where 25 teams have good linebackers and impactful linebackers, they don't have one, or at least didn't last year. Well, the Packers already have a really good center, left guard, left tackle, and they've got a decent right guard. Billy Turner adjusting to life in a new scenario. Didn't play great last year. I think the idea of him at tackle is a last resort situation. I don't think that's what they want to do, but I, th- I think they're, they're comfortable enough doing it. To feel like, hey, if Jared Valdir is the guy at right tackle, that's where they're going to go and they're going to feel good about it. And they can get one of these guys. Josh Jones. Andrew Thomas. Those would be awesome day one picks. Potential long-term solutions along the offensive line. But also, there's depth at offensive tackle. They could find a good player in the second round. They could even find a good player in the third round. The same is true at offensive line. The same is true at receiver. So if one of those guys drops, Josh Jones, Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas is a no-brainer if they if he drops, hits all of their athletic thresholds, was a monster at Georgia, was Sports Info Solutions, by the way, the same guys that put together total points, their number one offensive tackle in the draft based on their metrics. So Green Bay, you get someone like that, he's a tailor-made right tackle, and then you get a receiver in the second round, what if LaVisca Chenault drops? What if they can get Michael Pittman Jr.? What if T Higgins falls because he runs four, five, seven? Donovan Peoples Jones and that ridiculous athleticism. I mean, these are all in, in play for the Packers and it makes sense. So while I, I want to reiterate, Match Nyman was not reporting the Packers are moving on. That is not what happened. He is saying right now the likely scenario is. The Packers don't re-sign Brian Bulaga. Now it's possible they go into free agency and strike out. They go and they find out that that the Corey Littleton market is robust and they don't want to dive too far into it. And it turns out that the Joe Schobert market is more robust than they thought. And they're not going to pay $12 million for Joe Schobert. And they're not going to pay, you know, nine and a half, 10 for for Nick Wayakowski. Maybe that's what happens. And if Brian Bulaga doesn't have a home yet, they go, hey Brian, what do you feel about coming back? All of this is subject to change. What we're looking for right now is intentionality. What does Green Bay intend to do? What would they like to do? What is their preference? Beat reporters say things all the time that are sourced, and we don't always know because a lot of times it's just couched as, hey, this is what I think. Now, Matt said, based on what I'm hearing, this is what I think will happen. That matters. That's important. And And in a way, that is a report of sorts. Hey, the discussions that I've been told say the Packers intend to do X. It could be as simple as, hey, I was told you know, they want, they want to focus on these other guys. We have to be smart too about how we're consuming this stuff and make sure we're understanding what's being written, how it's being sourced, all that stuff because we don't want to go too far in saying, oh, this writer said this thing that he thinks is going to happen so it must be true or it must be sourced or whatever it is. Let's just take it for what it is. He was relaying some information with some extrapolation and saying, this is what I think. That is useful. That's what beat writers exist for. But when he's saying, hey, come on, I'm not reporting the Packers are moving on. That's important. And we have to be respectful and and smart about trying to parse what all this means.
0: David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich, thanks to Dave's America's number one organic bread for a reason. It tastes so stinking good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit Dave'sKillerBread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store.
1: Lost in the shuffle of a busy weekend of reports, the journal Sentinel and, and later confirmed by Cleveland media reported that the Packers and Browns are planning to hold a joint practice session. And this is particularly interesting in light of what's going on with the collective bargaining agreement. And if your eyes just glazed over, stick with me on this, because Brian Gutekunst was asked about before the combine, if joint practices, this is before this report came out. How losing a preseason game, which is what this new CBA would do, it cuts a preseason game to add a regular season game, what that would do to preparation in terms of team building, because this stuff matters, especially to fringe roster players. Guys win and lose jobs every year in the exhibition season. This is what Brian Goodikens had to say. Well, it's, it's one less opportunity, so I think we'll have to be a little bit creative in how you um,
0: you know, you know, we, we stage things for evaluation purposes. Um, You know, I think, you know, last year we had some joint practices for the first time in a long time. I think those were really helpful. Um, That was a way for our, um, you know, our guys who were established to get the reps that they needed against, um, you know, a quality opponent. um, Taking some risk factors away and allowing our younger guys to have more time, um, you know, in the actual games under the lights, which I think is important. So it will take an opportunity away from us, you know, for an evaluation period. But I think
1: overall I'd be excited about it. And I think that is a fascinating insight here. Players do not want to go into week one not having played any meaningful reps. Practice is not enough. And most people are going to say it, it's it's not enough. Now, remember, not everyone was a, was a huge fan of the joint practices last year. There were some veterans who didn't like it. And the veterans don't like anything. They don't like practice. They don't like training camp. They don't like OTAs. They don't like mini camp. They don't like any of it. But the coaches... Of course, they want some live reps for their players that aren't really live. And so if you're going to do that, you you can't be Lonnie Johnson and and lighting Jay Sternberger up to try and make an impression. You have to understand we're all protecting each other out here. We're just trying to get some, some competitive reps in. And the point is to protect each other. The point of a joint practice is to get some competitive reps without the wear and tear of a game, without the violence of a game, without the risk Of a game. You're not going 100%. You're not trying to light dudes up. This is practice. We're talking about practice, not a game, not the game. We're talking about practice. So if you're a coaching staff and you want your guys, your main guys especially, your number ones, to get some competitive reps, not live reps, competitive reps against not your defense or not your offense. The joint practice is the best way to do it because you're getting, you know, three-quarter speed, you're getting thud, which means they're not tackling, and you're getting red jerseys on your quarterbacks. One-on-ones are a little bit more competitive, although sometimes teams have said we're not going to do those because of the the fights that can break out, the issues that it can create. You want to see your team in a competitive situation, and then you use the preseason games, the exhibition games, for young players. And it's more an opportunity to get your rookies some reps. You don't even worry about your veterans. Just get rookies some reps out there. And that is that makes sense to me because when you're scheduling cupcakes in college football, one of the things you're doing it for is you want to get some of your freshmen some reps in real live games. You want to get your freshmen some reps under the lights, your backups, your QB2s. You want to give those guys opportunities to get some actually live reps, well you want to do that without risking your starters so if you can give your starters meaningful snaps in a competitive environment that is not live a competitive environment where injury risk is somewhat mitigated there's always an injury risk it is football but you're not fully tackling you can still slip you can still tear your acl this this happens every year guys get hurt in practice but you're not tackling you're certainly not tackling the quarterback and if you're Aaron Rodgers, that's certainly preferable than playing in a preseason game. I'm sure if Matt LaFleur went to Aaron Rodgers before the offseason process and said, hey, look, you're not going to play any preseason games, but we're going to do two joint practices. I'm sure suddenly Aaron Rodgers would be a huge fan of joint practices because it means he doesn't have to play in games that don't matter. Now, that this, this creates a whole other problem with with fans paying for tickets to not see the top guys, teams, are still charging full freight for a lot of these games. They're still charging full freight for concessions, to be sure. And so it still is an expensive day at the office to go and watch a preseason football game. Luckily, usually the weather's nice. It's warm outside. It's August. And, you know, it's it's nice. And it's comfortable. Although I've been to some sticky, sticky, humid preseason games. It's gross. From a training standpoint, this actually seems like an ideal way to alter the preseason schedule. Fringe guys, guys fighting to make the team, guys fighting for for jobs and playing time, they still get the game reps. Your starters get safer, competitive reps that still get to. You're still sharpening your skills. You're still testing yourself against other players, guys you don't see in practice every day, and there's absolutely value to that. This episode is brought to you by WISE. Progress is great, isn't it? People listen to music on record players, then tapes and CDs, and now you can stream music and podcasts. When technology moves forward, you move with it. Like with WISE, the modern way to move money internationally. It's smarter and simpler. They use new technologies, so when you send, spend, or convert money with WISE, you get a better exchange rate with lower fees. And over 30% of transfers arrive in less time than it takes to listen to this right now. Join over 10 million people and businesses and try Wise for free at wise.com podcast. I just want to follow up as we wind up here on something I, I talked about earlier uh, at the, with the offensive line. There are some players late first round and then second round that the Packers could really like. And one player that they met with at the Combine I mentioned earlier Josh Jones from Houston, and I, I had the the time yesterday to study him. We're going to do later in the week an off season report card on the offensive lineman. Now that that it seems like you know we're pushing in the direction of Brian Bulaga no longer being in the Packers plans for 2020, so okay, what are the options? And if it's Jared Valdir, what are the what are the draft options? Are there other free agent options Green Bay could be exploring? So I'm working through some tape on offensive line prospects and watching Josh Jones. He's someone who I mentioned on the show before as an ideal zone-blocking type player. But I was digging into some of the numbers. According to SIS, Sports Info Solutions, over the last two college football seasons, Josh Jones has not given up a pressure. He is an absolute wall in pass protection. 6'7", 3'10", Long arms and pro football focus had him graded as the top, the top, the number one group of five offensive tackle in the pro football focus era. Since they've been grading college players, there has not been a group of five tackle as good as Josh Jones. And the SIS numbers back that up. He's an absolute, well, I I made the joke in my notes. It's boring to watch him at times because, any pass play, he just wins. It's just over. The guy cannot get by him. And I think he can play left tackle. I think he could play right tackle. And if he is there at 30, he could be there at 30. This is a deep offensive tackle class. He makes all the sense in the world for the Packers as a developmental player, someone who it's going to take a little bit of time in the run game. He improved 2019 from 2018. I don't want to ruin the whole thing, but I just watched him, and and we talked about him earlier. So I wanted to give you a little sneak peek. He's the guy I would have my sights set on in the draft, a first-round player. Now, there are other guys, Austin Jackson, who is actually the player that Matt Schneidman picked in that mock draft that caused so much drama at 30. I think he could be there in the in the 60s as well. Green Bay could trade up into the 40s or 50s to get him if they felt that was something worth doing. So there are going to be options for them. This is, this is a good tackle draft at the top, and Green Bay has been adept at finding offensive linemen over the course of the last decade. It's one of the positions that, that Ted Thompson drafted multiple of in the first round. They believe in building from the line of scrimmage out. And if they're going to let him walk, I mean, I have to believe that they that they want either the 30th pick or the 67th pick to be an offensive lineman, if it can be. And it can be. So if they don't have a guy they like there, maybe they trade down. A lot of options for them. We'll go through all of them later in the week. Remember, tomorrow is our conversation with Ashwabanon High School's James Morgan, the FIU quarterback in this 2020 draft class. The guy who is getting a look from the Packers. They are one of the teams interested in him and about a dozen others. He is a very popular guy, was a very popular guy at the Combine. A lot of teams kicking the tires on him. So we'll talk about his pre-draft experience, what he's expecting moving forward, his experience talking to the Packers, a lot of experiences. (laughs) And that'll be on tomorrow's show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. Remember to wash your hands. Wash your hands, wash your butt. Listen to Devontae Adams. You don't want to get sick. The coronavirus is out there, and I'm not talking about the kind you put a lime in. Anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay. Locked on Packers.